This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson. Does the government plan to change the UK's relationship with the EU? That's a claims in the papers over the weekend, but today Rishi Sunak has used his speech at the CBI conference to slap down the idea of a Swiss model Brexit. Here's what he had to say. Let me be unequivocal about this. Under my leadership, the United Kingdom will not pursue any relationship with Europe that relies on alignment with EU laws. Now, I voted for Brexit, I believe in Brexit, and I know that Brexit can deliver, and is already delivering, enormous benefits and opportunities for the country. Fraser, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is that the Prime Minister is having to compensate for some freelancing done by somebody, my money's on Jeremy Hunt, who was going around and talking to people, trying to trying to chew people up after the budget. There's a lot of that going on. Operation Let's things aren't quite so bleak as we made out last Thursday. Now, I don't know this at all, but I would suspect that Jeremy Hunt, who's fundamentally a Remainer, would regard our membership, our, our leaving the EU as being an economic drag and something that you would have the potential to repair. There's this interesting thing about the Sunak premiership. It is a coalition government he's running and a coalition that involves, by definition, lots of factions of the Conservative Party, many of whom supported Remain at the last referendum. Now, I'm not quite sure how many Remainers think, you know what, I was wrong, Brexit's going to be a great economic success. I think you're more likely to find a Brexiteers abandoning that proposition. So um, um, so you will get um, um, people like Jeremy Hunt who will be thinking, OK, obviously we've got these trade barriers that the EU, that's a problem, maybe we can make that better. There's also a quote which I saw on the Saturday Times about a Treasury source saying that what we need to do is to sort our relationship with the EU. Now, that really jumped out at me. Sort our relationship. What could that mean? Didn't Brexit sort our relationship? Now, it could have been referenced to Northern Ireland, but I took it to mean a belief that we need to basically renegotiate Brexit and to try to come up with a deal that will have fewer trade barriers and will help get growth that way. Certainly, I imagine that's what Jeremy Hunt would prefer, as would other members of the government who backed Remain. Now, of course, you can't exactly tiptoe down this direction without newspapers going big on it because it's a massive departure from the um, the Boris Johnson David Frost line of Brexit um, Lord Frost was t- tweeting away that he and um, Boris Johnson took great pains to make sure we didn't have anything like a Swiss style EU but nonetheless the Sunday Times splashes on this saying it's being actively considered by an impeccable source, again you know that's language that does tend to point to the Chancellor but if that was his idea it's being slapped down first of all by Steve Barclay yesterday in the television rounds and by the Prime Minister again today. If you give anybody the idea that Britain is about to come begging back to the EU seeking a better deal, then you significantly weaken your hand in the negotiations still going on over Northern Ireland, plus you risk alienating a lot of Conservative MPs and voters who still think that this would be watering down Brexit. 
James, it's clear that the Sunday Times article was not something that was in the number 10 grid. They were not planning for this to be on the front page of a newspaper, let alone leading the news and such a subject of live discussion on Sunday and even today. There was also a big effort from number 10 yesterday. You had Rishi Derek's PPS trying to calm down MPs saying this is just not happening. And of course, Jeremy Hunt would not have been Rishi Sunak's first pick for Chancellor if he had won in the summer. Um, he ultimately inherited the Chancellor and the situation stable. So is this a storm in a teacup or is this something where there is freelancing on one side? Um, what's going on? So I don't. I think, I think you're right, Katie. I don't think there's any kind of plan to like go off and negotiate. I mean, the idea is, is a non-starter on so many levels. First of all, politically, it's clearly unsellable in the UK to a Tory party. And I think long term unsellable as a proposition. I think it's also unsellable to the EU. If you talk to Swiss diplomats, they will privately complain that Brexit has made their lives a lot harder because the EU suddenly looks at the deal that they offered Switzerland and and are trying to kind of push more ECJ jurisdiction, trying to make it more comprehensive rather than all these separate agreements, because they don't like the precedent it sets. Now, so I think for all those reasons, I don't think the UK is, is ever going to end up with a Swiss-style relationship with Europe and I think the, the EU. And I think the idea that the UK could just simply kind of copy and paste EU rules is not viable as a kind of long-term proposition or, or even a medium-term proposition. I think the thing that probably will concern number 10 is how quick some people were to jump on it, whether that's people outside the Tory party, such as Nigel Farage, who I think one of the things that is obviously a risk to the Tories is six months before a general election, does Nigel Farage announce that he has reluctantly been persuaded that he must he must rejoin the political fray and stand to Parliament for the umpteenth time? And does that give, you know, reform or or whatever vehicle he chooses to use a boost which hurts the Tories on the right? And then the other question is in terms of the factions within the Tory party, that, you know, some people were very quick to jump on this Sunday Times report and shout betrayal, even though I think that this is not in the number 10 plan. So I think, I think it tells you of those risks, it's something that you were writing about at the weekend, Katie, that those risks from within and without on the right to number 10. But I don't think we're going to hear much more about this because I don't think this is anyone's plan. Fraser, do you think there's an opportunity for uh, a party onto the right of the Tories? I mean, you've written about your own dissatisfaction with the autumn statement. Polling suggests probably the the larger opportunity in terms of dismayed former Tory voters is small votes. I don't think I would be likely to vote for the sort of parties that are likely to come up. Parties likely to come up will be uglier, they'll be more nationalistic, they will be small boat focused, they will be basically trying to pursue a betrayal narrative. Uh, by the way, I hope they won't emerge. I think one of the best things about British politics is the fact that we're relatively free of such parties, but we can never take that for granted. If you manage to get um, a government which is flat out of ideas, as this government appears to be right now, when we discussed, I mean, James was cheering us up in the Saturday podcast with potential ideas which these guys might get into their heads, and, and I hope we do take James' advice, but, but right now you can see exasperation and the conditions being almost perfect right now for a party to 
come in attacking Conservatives from the right. Now, of course, we've got Richard Tice's party. I forget what his latest iteration's called. What's it called? Reform, Reform right? And he now and again, you know, we, we rather, rather generously gave him an interview profile before the last local elections. Thinking, you know, is, is he going to make a dent? No, he absolutely didn't. There's no sign at all of him making a dent. But you never know. Something like this can be, like, trivial until it becomes a big thing. You, Nigel Farage might give up his, his GB News and come back into the fray. Or we might get another another figure. I think these things depend a lot on who the front man is. I think that Richard Tice, for all of his various attractions and qualities, is nowhere near a Farage figure. But if you were to get a Farage figure, then I do think the Conservatives could be in some trouble. Right now, they're taking the Cameron calculation. You can just hear the... Osbornean logic drip from between the sentences. Even in, in, in Prime Minister's speech of CBI today, the right won't like this, but the right have got nowhere else to go. That's what Cameron thought, and he was proved badly wrong. And just finally, a story north of the border. Um, NHS leaders in Scotland have discussed abandoning the founding principles of the service by having the wealthy pay for treatment. Fraser, this is ahead of ultimately what many expect to be a winter crisis when it comes to the NHS, both in Scotland and in England. Do you think we are heading to a crunch point where tricky conversations about how the NHS is funding, what service provider are going to have to be had? I think this is an incredible story by James Cook, the brilliant Scotland editor of the BBC. I would actually really recommend anyone interested in the future of the NHS reads his story. What jumped out at me wasn't the headline. His headline was NHS leaders in Scotland are discussing making the wealthy pay for treatment. That's what's caused a furore. What really interests me was the leaked memo he's got and the language which they use to describe a health service in collapse. I'll just describe some of it. Um, so they the, the talk about a billion pound hole in the budget, which in Scottish terms, that, that is a staggering sum which they think is missing. And by the way, the NHS in Scotland per capita gets way more funding than the NHS in England, even then extra money is not enough. They're saying that um, it's not going to be possible to continue to run the range of programmes the NHS offers while remaining safe, quote, and doing no harm. They also warn that, again, quotations, unscheduled care is going to fall over in the near term before planned care falls over. Now, critics of the NHS might talk about the system falling over, but here is the NHS itself in Scotland using the phrase fall over to apply first of all to unscheduled care and then planned care. This is what I would call a crisis. And it is pretty difficult looking at the health spending per head in Scotland. That will probably be more than it is in any European country. To save a lack of money is not the option. And I think what is true for Scotland will also be true for England. A few months ago, there was an NHS manager who was um, who told a, a conference of other NHS um, people. He, he was saying, why are we not talking about the crisis in the NHS? We run the risk of singing Kumbaya around a campfire while the Titanic sinks. Now, set aside the mixed metaphors, this is the NHS in England talking about it as a sinking Titanic. So I think this language is quite significant, and to me, it points to a wider NHS implosion which could happen this winter. I've always thought that the the biggest political risk to the Tories is the state of the NHS this winter. I remember an, an experienced old hand pointing out to me in August that the numbers in August, which is normally one of the better months of the year for the NHS, look like they normally do in a difficult winter. And their point being, how bad is it going to be by the winter? And what makes this problem so difficult is, you saw energy bills. Liz Truss 
followed on by this government, you know, just basically chucked money at the problem and, and not made it disappear, but made it manageable for most households. While at the NHS, the problem is, is it, it isn't a question of money, it's a question of capacity. And building extra capacity at this short notice is very, very, very difficult. But I think though, the Scottish angle to this story is, is a very interesting one, because I think you see this actually in the debate over nurses' pay as well which is politically an argument with nurses and, and, the, and the expectation that nurses should take a real-time pay cut sounds like a very, very difficult argument for, for any government to win. But the interesting thing is that all of the governments within the UK are being faced with this industrial action from nurses. And so how it is handled, you know, from in, in, in Labour run Wales, SNP run Scotland, and, and you know, the, the English NHS run by the Tories, I think that that is an interesting parallel. And I think it is fascinating that this this story has first come from north of the border because you can just imagine the political reaction if this, if this was an NHS England story. Nicola Sturgeon would be out saying, well, if you wish to preserve the free at the point of use NHS, you must vote for independence. And it's actually in Scotland that this story has first come out. Thank you, James. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Cindy, for producing this podcast. And if you do enjoy Coffee House Shots, please do rate and review us on your preferred podcast outlet.